Kitty Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Will Zweigart. Will is the founder of Flatbush Cats, a 501c3 nonprofit focused on reducing the outdoor cat population in central Brooklyn through TNR and rescue work. He began doing Trap New to Return in late 2016 after moving to the Flatbush neighborhood in Brooklyn and discovering cats everywhere. TNR led to fostering friendlies, and before you know it, he and his partner were over their heads with mass trappings and medical emergencies. Will formed a nonprofit to better organize their efforts and begin bringing new volunteers into the fold. Today, Flatbush Cats teaches TNR classes and offers support and tools to newly certified volunteers, including a trap bank, community food bank, Facebook support group, mentoring, and rescue adoption support for friendlies. They also recently launched their first mobile spay-neuter clinic pilot program in partnership with the Toby Project to support low-income residents and prevent more cats from being born on the street. Their goal is to help solve the outdoor cat population problem in New York by creating a sustainable model for how hyperlocal grassroots groups can serve on the front lines in partnership with larger animal welfare organizations. By day, Will is a brand strategist with an advertising agency. He enjoys documenting his TNR and rescue work through video, photography, and social media, and believes authentic storytelling is the key to rallying supporters behind your cause. Will, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. You are just fantastic on Instagram and the videos that you do. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. And we're going to do a deep dive talking about the storytelling and the video work that you do and that you're, you're just so excellent at. But first, you shared a little bit in your bio about your interest and how you got involved with the kitties in Flatbush. But tell us a little bit before that, have you always been a passionate cat person? Yes, I've always been a passionate cat person. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household with cats and developed sort of a lifelong appreciation for them from an early, early moment. I kind of use myself as an example of someone who we might want to talk to from an audience perspective, because just a few years ago, despite being a lifelong cat lover, despite having cats for most of my life, I knew zero absolutely nothing about what was going on in New York and TNR or any of that stuff. So I try to use that as a reference point. Remember that you could really love animals. You could want to support them. But there's a lot of folks who we haven't really even reached yet. That's amazing. It, it, you know, we get stuck in our sort of in our worlds and we talk about TNR and we talk about community cats and we talk about rescue, foster care, KMR, this and that and blah, blah, blah. And we figure everybody knows what we're talking about. But really, most people don't have any idea. And is that something that you look at when you're talking about storytelling and trying to share messaging with your organization? Yeah, 100%. To your point, I think the longer you're involved in this space, the more you realize that we are um, sort of under-resourced to meet the challenge in any given large city. So despite having a lot of very caring people who make great sacrifices to do their part, the problem is very large. The challenge is huge. So you realize pretty quickly, we're going to need a lot more people on the front lines. And this can't be seen as some quirky, obviously, you guys have talked about all the old tropes before in other episodes, but 
this can't be seen as some weird thing. This has to be seen as community service. This has to be seen as civic engagement and doing your part. And so I think it's our challenge. I think it's everyone's challenge to talk to that much, much larger audience who maybe loves cats, but doesn't know about any of these issues yet. So I think that's a a shared opportunity and responsibility for all animal welfare groups. When you started Flatbush Cats as a 501c3, did you decide to go it alone from the very beginning? Or did you research other organizations and just feel like they weren't covering the same topics that you were interested in? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, so let's set the scene for our listeners because Flatbush is just a tiny part of Brooklyn. If you were looking at, at a map of the borough of Brooklyn, it's right in the center. We've got over 2.5 million residents just in Brooklyn. That's not, not even all of New York. It's one of the most populous cities in the country behind LA and Chicago, just Brooklyn. And the zip code we live in has over 80,000 people per square mile. That's the highest density of any zip code in Brooklyn. It's one of the highest density zip codes in the country. So when we got started, definitely there was no, there's no way to really provide full coverage of a city that large. And we see that in LA as well. You know, in other areas, you could, you could just work on a small area um, to really have the most impact possible. And so when we originally got started, it was a classic scenario, move to a new spot, see cats everywhere. We did, of course, contact larger groups. We Googled and contacted ASPCA. We contacted the few shelters that we could find. That's still a little bit of a broken system. We're hoping to maybe play a role in connecting people who want to help with the right resources. Right now, you're, it kind of feels like you're digging through the yellow pages and you get a list of 20 groups. You email them all. Uh, all those groups get all the same help requests. So that's another topic, but I, I really want to maybe um, contribute to solving that. But after some searching, we realized that we needed to get involved and, and do this ourselves. Later on, we did meet some other groups who work in a peripheral area, um, like Brooklyn Fat Cats, who was really helpful for us when we got started. But again, with a, with a city that large and that dense, um, you really have to have focused resources in any given area to be able to make any kind of impact. So that you wanted to be able to really focus and work on a targeted area. Were you aware of that, of the sort of targeted approach with regards to community cats, or was that just your own personal decision? It took a lot of research. I mean, I'm, I try to be a solutions oriented person. I try to be an efficient person with our time. Obviously, when you're on the front lines doing TNR and rescue and you see this cycle firsthand, at some point you step back and say, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be something we can do to actually turn the water off as opposed to scooping buckets out of the basement. And so that research led me to larger industry groups and associations. I actually found your article, Stacy. I believe it was for Sheltering Magazine where you talked about the community cats pyramid. Do you want to give like a short overview of, of what that is? Sure, sure. Yes. Uh, so Animal Sheltering Magazine profiled the community cats pyramid. You can find the blog post on the communitycatspodcast.com website. You just do community cats pyramid and it'll come right up. But basically it's uh, modeled after the food pyramid and it's this the triangle and at the base of the triangle is offering low cost or no cost spay neuter assistance for owned cats 
and then you go up and you have trap new to return and then you go up and you have adoption and rescue and ideally you get to the tippy tippy top and we're talking barn relocation or sanctuary or foster for life or something like that and that should be the smallest population of cats that we're assisting if you want to really reduce your overpopulation situation in your community you really need to have very easy access to either free or super low cost spay neuter for cats in the community for owned cats. And that's really going to be one of your biggest game changers with TNR being at that next level. And I find many organizations that pyramid is upside down because they're doing so much more rescue and adoption and very little assistance in the owned cat communities. So yeah, I'm glad you found it animal sheltering. It was wonderful that they, they covered it. And we also have it in Spanish too. It's out in a uh, blog post out at a group in Spain. Yeah. And I would love to see more discussion about that, especially again, as a, maybe an outsider, someone's new to the space. Maybe it's discussed in certain meetings or conferences, but that was a huge light bulb for us because as much as we love this work, you know, this is our spare time. Like we're volunteers, we have day jobs, like this is a nights and weekends operation. And we need to know that our time is being spent efficiently. And that was a huge eye opener that it's kind of, kind of common sense. If you're just only doing rescue, you're only pulling cats off the street, that's 100% reactive. While we're happy to help those cats, we're happy to tell those stories, five to 10 years from now, I want to be able to look at my neighborhood, which is huge, and say that we've made a measurable impact. And so the only way we can track that impact is either from the top down or the bottom up. And the bottom up method of saying we did X number of adoptions, again, while very critical, that's like saying we scooped X number of buckets of water out. And I really want to say, actually, we canvassed this entire area. We provided spay-neuter awareness to people. We had conversations. We made low-cost spay-neuter vaccination and vet care services available. Those are the kinds of impacts that we want to track. And ultimately, we also want to track the intake to city shelters from our zip code. Unfortunately, we're having trouble tracking that information down. And also a lot of folks in our neighborhood don't even know about the city shelter. They just put their cat outside, but we're making progress towards getting our hands around the real metrics that matter and really focusing on them so that we can make sure we have a real impact over a few years. Having groups being able to share information, and I know it can be sometimes challenging because the questions may be a little bit different, but you know, even if we can get a mini baseline of some information that we're willing to share, I think is really helpful. We have in Massachusetts, there's a group called Boston Homeless Cats, and we only get together once or twice a year, but one of those meetings revolves around data sharing for the groups in the greater Boston area. And I think it's incredibly helpful for everybody to be able to understand and what's going on and what the challenges are and, you know, what people have seen for the previous year. So, you know, I, I really hope in any city or any area, any regional area, groups do take the time to put a meeting together at least once or twice a year to maybe have some of those objective goals to be able to work together. Do you want to create amazing videos that get animals adopted? Then check out RescueTube, where they've simplified the creation of adoption and fundraising videos. Volunteers and fosters simply upload raw video, and RescueTube turns it into amazing stories set to music. They even post it on your social media for you. Check out rescue.tube to learn more.
Will, you are just an incredible, as you say, I'm a systems guy and you're able to sort of look from the top down, but you're also incredibly visually oriented. And we'll have a link to a video that you put together that's on your Flatbush website, being part of an advertising agency and with branding experience. Do you have any information you'd like to share with our listeners about visual storytelling, storytelling for different age groups? You know, some of your thoughts around what you've seen out there and what might help people make their visual work a little bit stronger. Yeah, absolutely. To make the most use of our time, I might jump around a little bit here. I just want to provide as many tips as possible to folks. You know, sometimes when I'm listening to a a webinar or a conference, I'm like, you know, get to the good stuff, like (laughs) things I can use. So our approach to visual began out of necessity. We were up to our neck in kittens who were getting bigger by the day in the middle of the summer in 2017, you know, we realized we don't have a network. Sounds like not too long ago, but we didn't have any network at all. We don't have a physical space, no foot traffic, no adoption events, we're on a 501c3. So it became a necessity to pay for nucleations, to pay for dental work, to get adoption visits. And so I'll kind of skip over the why this is important. I think everybody gets that. So our first priority was, how do we make our weaknesses a strength? Well, our small size means that we get to spend a lot of time with each cat. I think that's something that we try to to show and that people hear is that, you know, in a foster environment, you're able to really bring out the personality. You're able to show the process. Like, because we do a lot of street rescue, we get to actually show that moment, that amazing moment at is coming in from the cold or, you know, coming in for medical care. And we kind of keep the camera rolling from then on out. I think, you know, if you're a really large shelter, obviously there's some scale challenges here. Maybe you don't you don't know the story of every cat or, you know, at this point you just have like a, a shelter environment to photograph them in. But anything you can do to show the interaction between the cat and people is incredibly important. One of the things that we always wonder when we're thinking about adopting a cat is, are they gonna like me? Do they like people? Are they really friendly? I would never just say this cat is really sweet. I would say to the foster, that photo is great, but can you send me a video of the cat getting some chin scratches? Like, can you send me a video of the cat, you know, lounging in your lap? I want to show that relationship and that dynamic. And I think we do little kind of for our fosters. We have to, I don't want to say train, but we have to show each one of them individually why the documentation part is so important. I think most of you will find that the documenting side comes naturally for maybe a small percentage of your audience. You know, some people who already take a lot of photos of their cats, they may be more proactive. But we try to show from the beginning, this is a key part of your responsibility as a foster, is we need to document the progress. We need to keep people informed how the cat's doing. I don't want to just show a photo at the very end and say, this is Teddy. He had a really rough time. Now he's great. Like, try to do one post of, of a cat when they're all the way through everything they've been through, it's really hard to develop that emotional connection with a cat. Yeah, you're using those visuals to, to tell a story, but you've got also a desire to use it to fundraise. I know you have a very active Instagram page. I understand a lot of people advocate in Instagram because there's a lot of visuals, but I feel like or I get the sense that you've utilized it as a great fundraising source for support. And I don't think we necessarily think of Instagram as a avenue for fundraising and correct me if I'm wrong. For 2019, 2020, regardless of who you may think your target audience is, first of all, everyone loves stories. Uh, Everyone loves a powerful story. We have 
people of all ages, you know, giving feedback about how they found it through one individual story or another. So that typically ends up being sort of the gateway to learning about our organization. I mentioned the community cap pyramid. So ideally, rescue is not the primary focus, but it becomes the teaching moment. It becomes the way that we can deliver information about everything else that we do. Every single cat teaches us something. So if I'm telling you about this cat, Julius, who is is really friendly now, but he was really shy outside, that becomes an opportunity for me to show how we use the drop trap. That becomes an opportunity for me to show why TNR skills are really important to be a good rescuer. That creates an opportunity to talk about upper respiratory infections and giving them time and space and socialization. So, you know, it's way more than just adoption and it's way more than fundraising. Every time we're able to document one of these stories, it gives us a fantastic teaching moment. And specific to Instagram, 100%, I could not overstate that, you know, I do digital and social strategy for my day job. And I can just say Instagram dominating everything right now. It's not even close. Things are always going to change. Platforms are always going to come and go, of course. But that's where you need to be right now. And kind of alongside that, it is our fundraising strategy. We could do events, we could do newsletter things, we could do, you know, pleas for help on a specific situation, but we find it's way more beneficial to be proactive in storytelling all the time. And then you never really need to get to the point where you're in an emergency. And if they've seen the cat when it came in and they know the surgery is next week, it's nice to not have to ask. It's nice to tell people what's going on, show them so they have a much more close connection. If I think about the nonprofits that I supported through my own donations five to 10 years years ago, maybe I would get a letter, you know, like, I'm not going to visit your website, no one's going to visit your website, maybe I would get some updates somewhere. But now people are following these rescue groups on Instagram, they're getting daily updates, and they're seeing the progress, they're seeing where their money went. The other thing you're saying, too, as a small organization, you are focusing, you know, where your own strengths are, too, and you're not allowing yourself to get sort of distracted by different rabbit hole type scenarios, like you say, running events or doing that kind of stuff. So I think the other thing, too, is knowing what you have as a small organization from a bandwidth standpoint. You know, obviously, you're in an area that's incredibly densely populated, huge population, huge number of cats. Um And, you know, you touched upon it earlier, a desire to be able to communicate and network better. Looking forward, Will, I mean, you're new, so I'm hoping you're going to be in this business for the next 20 to 25 years. So we have this whole overpopulation situation resolved and solved by them. You know, what do you envision happening for Community Cats and for our organizations over the next five or 10 years? Specifically to New York, and I think that is representative of a lot of other area challenges. We have some structural improvements that we need to make. I would urge all of you to watch the documentary, The Cat Rescuers, that you interviewed, uh, Steve, and the other filmmakers prior. That shows the deep isolation, the deep sacrifice that individual rescuers are making right now. And I think that's frankly unfair for the people who care the most to be bearing most of the burden. So we're really grateful for the resources that we have at a city level, but on a per capita basis, New York is significantly underfunded. We're not putting the dollars into the programs that we need to make. And the the employees at the large organizations are doing their best. They're pouring their hearts out, but we're simply not 
funding this challenge the way we need to. So I think advocacy for all the larger and smaller groups to be working together and have a tighter network that are focused on the problem and actually discussing the problem. I've not ever heard anyone say, let's talk about the problem in New York. How do we fix it? Um, Open discussion without fear of failure, without fear of judgment. But I think that's looking up. I think looking at the broader population, the biggest change that we have to make is we have to be catalysts for everyone to understand the role that they can play. I mentioned earlier that most people in New York, when I talk to them, they do not know about the cat population problem. Okay, that's opportunity number one, right there, everyone. If the people who live amongst us and have the resources to donate and have the weekends to spend time trapping and fostering, if they don't even know about the problem, that's our number one opportunity. And that's why we spend so much time, again, on channels like Instagram and YouTube is because selfishly, we know we can't do this ourselves. We reached that realization a long time ago. So who's going to help us? We've got to bring new people in. We've got to bring lots of new people in. And so we have to create this welcoming, inclusive, positive, aspirational space where people don't feel guilted to help. They don't feel guilted to donate. Instead, we talk about the joy that fostering brings. We talk about the deep sense of fulfillment that changing these cats' lives bring us. And we use that as a tool through social media to get more people involved, and it's working. Before we wrap up today, I want to ask you a little question about your partnership with the Toby Project. Would you like to share a bit with our listeners about that? Yeah, so for folks not around the area, the Toby Project is a long-standing nonprofit in the in New York focused almost exclusively on providing spay neuter services to the area. And I'm I'm so thrilled that we get a chance to work with them. The coolest stat that I've ever heard, they have spayed or neutered over 45,000 cats and dogs in the region. And that's the kind of impact that we get really excited about. We reached out to them, um, you know, pursuant to our community cat pyramid conversation. I reached out to them and said, we want to educate our residents, community members about spay neuter, but we live in an underserved area. It's not fair to go and tell people they need to get their cats fixed if you're not giving them a solution for that. That doesn't work. So we need to be able to bring those services to the area. We're doing a pilot with them this year to test that out. My goal is, again, I don't know how we're going to do this. I think it's fine to share your goal out out loud without knowing how you're going to do it yet. Our goal is is to regularly have free or low-cost spay-neuter services, no questions asked for all residents in Flatbush and then greater Brooklyn. And so that's why I mentioned it'll take a lot of partnership with a lot of larger organizations to make that happen. But I think we have to be very vocal about the need. And we have to be very vocal about how that actually supports us as individual rescuers so that we're not just scooping sick cats and kittens off of the street 10 years from now. So Will, if there are folks interested in finding out more about Flatbush, how would they reach out to you folks? I always tell people to follow us on Instagram because, you know, if you go to a website, you know, you might never come back or it might feel like a brochure to you. So following us on Instagram is the best way to see what we do day in, day out. We have some great videos on our YouTube channel that are a mixture of kind of education, how-to, and storytelling. But our website is at flatbushcats.org as well. That's excellent. And we'll make sure we have links to all of these places on in the show notes and get it out in our social media too. Um, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners today? Um, yeah, I just, I want to say, you know, having great 
photos and videos doesn't mean that you need big production budget. It doesn't need to feel commercial. In fact, when you're talking about social media, something that looks heavily produced, our brains read that as an ad. So it actually doesn't work in our favor to have things like text overlays or things that look like posters or things that look like TV ads. Not only do you not need that, it can trigger a sense that you're watching an ad and that can kind of get people moving on more quickly. So Try to document the stories that you can with your phone. I teach a workshop on photo video and the workshop is based on your phone because I don't want people to think that they need some kind of crazy 4K camera and equipment and studio to document the stories. If you look on our Instagram, I would say maybe 80% of that video is from my phone or from a Foster's phone. So yes, things like good lighting and composition do make a difference. And yes, you should try to improve your game and you know stick with it. But also if you really don't love documenting your work, you do need to find and hire someone who does because photo and video requires a lot of time and commitment and passion. But as we talked about earlier, it's not just about, you know, getting more followers. It's not just about adoption. This is going to be the center of your fundraising efforts in the future. It's going to be the center of the direct relationship that you have with your donors. And it's also going to be the number one source for finding new volunteers and people who can help you. So it is worth the time and energy. Wow, that's great. Some valuable information there. And well, I want to just thank you so much for spending time with me this morning. And thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you, Stacey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 